0: Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning, man. We did have an awesome first service. Uh, We'll share more about uh, who was baptized in the first service here in just a little bit, but we want to welcome those of you who have never worshiped with us before. We're so pumped to have you. Um, uh, We pray that you feel welcome while you're here. Um, We also want to let you know that we knew you were coming, so we bought you something. And so at Next Steps today, we have a gift for you. And so if you'll take the card from the back of the seat in front of you, fill it out, and just one per family, and drop it off at Next Steps, uh, those two desks in the lobby. Um, they're going to give you a free T-shirt and some information about our church. And you can't go to Walmart and get a free T-shirt today, but you can come to God's house and get it today at Lindsay Lane East. And so um, that's just our, our gift to thank you for being here, okay? Uh, Walmart doesn't give away free stuff. Jared knows that. All right, Um I hope you I hope you had a good weekend and I do pray that every time that we gather together that you do take opportunity to worship God through song. Uh, I can just tell you that when i gather when I get up here to preach um, man it makes the transition to the Word of God so much better when you guys when we 've all uh been singing and we've been making uh music to the lord man it, it makes makes the difference and so so I encourage you to continue in that but we finished we 're finishing today. This movement through the Gospel of Mark. Going to open up to Mark chapter 15. Um, we've we we've not done it in a row, but we've been 13 messages. Today's the 13th message through the Gospel of Mark. You did it. You survived it. Together. We, <laughs> y'all are a little bit more excited than I, okay. Um, I'm just kidding. I get to preach again on, next week on something else. But glad you guys uh, have hung with us through the Gospel of Mark. It's been really, really cool. Um, and what we're making it to today, we've made it to this climactic part of all the gospel accounts, but especially the gospel of Mark, the death of Jesus. Um, last week, what we saw is that there were these really infantile trials and these this rejection of Jesus that happened not only among people who had been rejecting Jesus' this whole ministry, but there was a rejection of Jesus that happened from those closest to him. And man, it was, I'm telling you, it was so painful to study that last week and to preach that, just to see And to try to feel for Jesus, even though, like in one sense, he knew it was coming. But again, just to feel betrayal from friends uh, would have been so difficult. Well, as difficult as that was last week, um, it's going to be even more difficult for us today as we see Jesus' sentencing carried out, um, as we see um, uh, Jesus' death. And a fair warning today. Um, it gets a little graphic, not because of me, but because of what the Bible says. Okay. So we're going to talk about a little bit of what happened to Jesus. Um, don't like, it's not like a gory movie. Like it's going to be weird, but we're just going to talk about some things that happened to Jesus. And, um, it's difficult to hear, but by the end, we're going to finally see what we've been looking for all along is that Jesus' authority is finally and fully confirmed through his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's going to be really, really cool as we go through this. In fact, we're going to see two unlikely folks that take notice of Jesus' authority that will shock you if you've been with us uh, from the beginning. And so um, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over God's word, and then we're going to just start diving in, okay? Father, I thank you, God, that you did give us your word. God, you didn't leave us to try to figure out who you are, um, God, just by looking around at nature, God, though there are things we can learn from that, but God, you gave us your word, and God, it shows us your character. God, it shows us uh, your your very nature. And so, God, uh, um, I thank you for your word, and God, I pray that today as we study it, God, that you would uh, guard my heart, my mouth, my mind. Um, God, that, that today uh, we would make much of who Jesus is, and uh, we would all today uh, learn more about who you are and God we ask you to be with us and so God uh, we we trust you with this and with this time in Jesus name amen amen so uh we're going to simply walk through uh, this last section again, last uh, the last two weeks, I've really been walking through uh, the last week of Jesus' life. Well, now we're going to be looking at these last moments that lead to his death, and then what happens after. Um, so, again, Mark 15. Uh, we're going to look at four parts. Uh, the Gospel uh, Mark really breaks it down into four different sections. Um, That are really cool. And so uh, the first one is this. What we're going to see is that Jesus is, first off, even before the crucifixion, Jesus is treated less than human. So if you're a note taker and you love those notes, and I know some of you do, make sure that you write that down. So even before we get to the cross, yes, the cross is a a terrible, difficult thing. The punishment begins for Jesus here, uh, long before the cross. Pilate, who we saw at the end of the week last week, Pilate's this Roman authority figure, and he, um, we saw this at the end, Mark fifteen fifteen. Uh, I want to read it to you. Pilate, wanting to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas to them, which was part of his custom. Instead of releasing Jesus, he releases this other guy. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Now, here's the deal. You read that and you go, oh, okay. And if you know what flogging is, you know it's like some sort of beating. Mark just mentions that sucker in passing, though. Like He just says, they beat him, and then he was going to be crucified. But if you research, like what a flogging looked like, your Bible may say uh, scourging, it may say beat, it may say something else. But this was a very intense thing that Mark just kind of mentions. And so, this was actually a pretty prance, uh, pretty standard procedure before crucifying someone. The Romans were, if the Romans were anything, they were efficient. Okay, they were efficient. And what I mean by that is when they would take a criminal and put him on the cross, what they learned early on is a difficult, painful way to kill people, but that's what they wanted to do. It was one of the most excruciating ways to die. They wanted to do that. But what they learned is that some folks can survive for a while on the cross. And then what do you got to do? They're thinking logistics. Man, we got to have, you know, three to five soldiers. We got to pay them daily to sit out there by the cross. Man, we're spending money here, right? So some of y'all are efficient people, and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So so Rome began to realize that they can prepare the person to be uh, crucified ahead of time and make it go a little quicker. What they would do oftentimes, like they did with Jesus, this flogging, this, uh, this scourging, is they would take him out to a whipping post, a big post in the ground. They would tie them up there, and then they would whip them with this torture weapon that was a long braided strap that had pieces of uh, like sharp pieces of bone and glass and whatever else they could weave into the, the strap. And this tactic, uh, that was super painful, had two outcomes that helped them be efficient. Um, the first one, the person's back would absolutely be ripped to shreds. Um, if you can imagine how painful it would be to just have the flesh of your back opened up and then for them to take you and put your back up against a really rough piece of wood. They were the only way for you to survive is to push yourself up and your back being. Are you feeling this up your back right now? Like when I wrote it, I was like, "Ooh!" like Jesus and and people like him, their backs are opened up and now they're going to be hung on a piece of wood. So uh, the desire to push up to get breath on the cross is going to be limited because your back is hurting so badly. The second outcome that was desired by them was a loss of blood. This beating actually caused some recipients to bleed out before they ever got to the cross. Some people would experience the scourging and they would not even be crucified. They would bleed out there. And for those that did survive, the loss of blood would weaken their drive to live and it would, it would zap their strength. So both of these, the back being ripped open and the loss of blood, would speed the crucifixion process up tremendously. And Jesus experienced that. Though Mark just mentions it in one word, that's what happened. And then it says he handed him over to be crucified. So after he's beaten, the mistreatment continues. We don't even get to the crucifixion yet. Verses 16 through 20 say this. The the, the soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick, spitting on him, getting down on their knees. They were paying him homage. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe, put his clothes on him, and led him out to crucify. This is Rome at its best. Rome at its best. They're treat- these Roman soldiers are treating Jesus terribly. Now, the things that stood out to me in this, I've known this happened, but I always pictured it um, as just a few soldiers that were punks, okay? Like getting them in a back alley, roughing them up a little bit. But the Gospel of Mark, that I've never paid attention to, the Gospel of Mark uses some language that helps us see this was a lot bigger spectacle than, than what I've always thought. The term... He says this uh, he says the whole company they called the whole company out the word there um often gets translated in some of your Bibles as the garrison, which was like a which was a term now I researching it this week, I don't know this. I'm not a Roman scholar, but that can actually mean upwards to six hundred soldiers. so think about that after jesus his he he goes through the the scourging the the flogging he goes through that and then he's brought before as many as 600 soldiers who pick on him who dress him up um crazy and then they they, they hit him in the head they make him wear a, a crown of thorns like all of that is happening not just with a few guys in the secret place but it's happening in an area in which 600 people can at least watch and for whatever reason seeing the magnitude of this moment changed it just added an extra layer of shame and 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 pain that Jesus went through and they're picking at the idea that he's the king of jews they dress him up in a royal purple robe and they they put a crown on his head but it's made of thorns and they bow before him in mockery but you got to remember during all of this Jesus is just trying not to die right like he's bled to the point that no doubt as the as the blows are coming to his head he may be losing consciousness here and there because he's lost so much blood and I just telling you as I read that as a Jesus follower and if you follow Jesus this is hard to get through like even before we get to the crucifixion I, i'm 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 reading this this week trying to read it with fresh eyes and almost finding myself in tears just blown away by what the the difficult mistreatment that Jesus went through but even in the midst of that, I saw this glimmer of hope that I thought was—it's—it's uh, it's not humorous, I guess, but it's something ironic, maybe, that the very thing these soldiers were doing to Jesus in mockery is exactly what they should have been doing in honesty. They're—they're—they're—they're—they're they're, 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 they're if they—if they only knew, if they only knew that this was King. Jesus, the one that that John says that the world was spoken into existence through. If they only knew that, then they would have brought him a real fresh robe. And they would have put a real crown on his head. And they would have fallen on their faces before him, not in false homage, not as a sarcastic little stab. They would have fallen on their faces in worship. But they missed it. And today, people continue to mistreat the name of Jesus. They mock him instead of giving him the actual praise that is due. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it is hard. It's hard to sit by and watch. It's hard to listen to that on social media or in person at your workplace. But we got to find peace in the midst of that, knowing that Jesus right now is on an actual throne, and he is in charge, whether these mockers acknowledge it or not. We see that Jesus, even before the cross, Jesus is mistreated. Um, he's treated as if he's less than human through this whole time. But then we do get to the crucifixion. That's point number two. He was crucified as a criminal. We find that Jesus was not the only one lined up for crucifixion that day. Again, if we're going to have Roman soldiers, we're going to pay Roman soldiers to stare at a cross. We might as well get our money's worth. So let's go. Let's get a three for one deal. There are two criminals who are being executed that day and Jesus is placed between them as if his heart was as dark as theirs, as if his actions as the Son of God on the earth were equal to theirs. He dies between two criminals. But Mark tells us something interesting uh, that, that Jesus was apparently so weakened at this point that he couldn't carry the weight of the cross. Listen to this, verse 21. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, just so you know, um, we often picture Jesus carrying the whole cross, the T, okay? Um, but you, you may already know this, but um, that's usually not what happened. Um, oftentimes, uh, usually the crucifixion, the, 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 the vertical part was already there. It was already on site. Um, what the, what the, the candidate for crucifixion would carry would be what they called the crossbar. Uh, The cross beam, it would be between probably, you know, we don't know, but roughly 90 to 125 pounds that they would have to carry across their shoulders or oftentimes they would go on and strap their arms to it and would carry it all the way through town, out of town and to the place of crucifixion. But we find out Jesus was too weak to do that. So there's a guy and it says, he was coming in from the country who was passing by. So this guy named Simon was just passing by. We don't know who Simon was. We don't know his opinion of Jesus. For whatever reason, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they said, hey, and he has to carry the cross of a man he probably doesn't even know. Now, when I read verse 21, was there anything weird to you? I'll look back at it. Put it back on the screen if we can. I can read back over it. There's a weird detail in there that I found creepy. Why does it matter what his kids' names are? Is that weird to (laughs) y'all? I've run into people in the past. Y'all know these people. You run into them and they think you have more connections than you do. It, it, it works for me, especially like when uh, um, I look a lot like my dad did when he was my age. So when I like talk to his teachers and stuff that had him in school, they'll assume I know people he knows. You know, uh, you know, so and so lives over there on the thing with the, and his daddy was this and his mama was this. And I, what do y'all do? Do y'all tell them no or do y'all just nod? I just nod, and it gets me in a mess sometimes. Mhm. Yep. Oh, you know, uh, the, by the is it by the stop sign or is it a cross? Oh, it's a cross. Oh, okay. And like, I don't know. It's easier than admitting I don't know them because what if I'm supposed to know them? What if they, you know? Anyway, it's got me in trouble even as recent as Saturday. Um, but like, that's what's going on here. Like, there's this guy, Simon. He's just walking by. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Hey, but um, his kids are Alexander and Rufus. And then we just go on with the story. And it can be very weird. But remember, here's what we've got to remember. This account, the account that marked all the gospel accounts were not circulated. Were probably not even written down, but were definitely not circulated to the churches for decades later. Okay, that's important. So the gospel of Mark as he's writing this, we're decades from Jesus' crucifixion. So the only reason to give such a weird (laughs) detail is if Mark thought you might know him. Right? Can you all think of another reason why he would do that? And so, like, the only reason would be if the boys grew up and were remembered for something. So who were these boys do we know anything about them Alexander is the most one of the most common names in the Roman world but Rufus is a little bit less common and in fact Paul mentions a guy named Rufus in the gospel or in the the letter he wrote to the Romans and he writes as if as if he's either part of his ministry or is a leader in the church in Rome. He says in verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. So let's put this this together here. This random person who's just at the wrong place at the wrong time is forced to carry his cross. And his son, at least one of his sons, becomes a leader in the church. If y'all haven't had these random encounters in your life where that seems weird, God has a plan for that. Here's a man who was at the wrong place at the wrong time, but his son becomes a leader in the church just a generation later. This is a cool story. We don't know if Simon became a follower of Jesus as well, but we have every right to believe that if, if this Rufus is his son, than he did. And I don't know why else he would mention his children. That's a cool story. But God hasn't quit that business. Today, we're going to get to meet two families in our church. Two family, families that weren't there when Jesus died on the cross. They didn't have to carry his cross or anything like that. But there was a time in their life where God showed up in a real moment. For some of them, it was the wrong place at the wrong time, and they found themselves face-to-face with the story of Jesus. And we're going to get to baptize them today. Some of you have cool stories like that, and so I'm, I'm so pumped at what God's doing in our church. As we continue through the story, we find that this drama continues to play out, and they arrive at this hill. It was called the Place of the Skull, or Golgotha where Jesus would be crucified. And all the while, he's continuing to be re- just be mocked by the religious leaders. It's interesting, Mark, uh, which Mark's pretty succinct um, throughout, this, throughout his stories, he doesn't go into as much detail as the others, but he gives us one of the shortest accounts of Jesus' crucifixion. Um, it appears from the text that Jesus may have hung on the cross for about six hours, or at least it, it looks that way. Mark doesn't tell us much of what happened, but we see this in verse 37. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite Jesus saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. So two things here in this this section. As Jesus dies, there's this really thick curtain that's been in the temple for a long, long time and it served as a separation between god and man it was in the temple to protect the people from god's presence it was the way in which they approached god and here all four gospel writers matthew mark luke and john tell us that it was ripped if they all say it it must be a big deal so what we're seeing is that the this temple that this this curtain in the temple that used to separate god and man has now been ripped and there is now a new way to access god And that is through Jesus' own death. No longer through the death of a lamb or a ram or a, a pigeon. But now we are coming into the presence of God through Jesus, the one true sacrifice. But what not all the other gospel writers tell us about is that there's this centurion who's there. who's a Roman soldier. And he's watching everything go down he's just there. The the text doesn't tell us his name, doesn't tell us anything about him, only that he was there and that he saw the way Jesus breathed his last. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. This is a Roman soldier with an extremely limited knowledge of Jesus and his ministry. More very, very likely could have been part of the garrison that had That had ridiculed him just earlier. He didn't know the Old Testament. He didn't know the prophecies that Jesus was fulfilling in his life. He didn't grow up going to Sunday school. He simply witnessed the love and compassion of Jesus on the cross. And he saw it. When everybody else missed it, he saw it. He saw it. And he spoke it. Most of Jesus' disciples have yet to make bold statements like this. But here's a Roman centurion. This this should shock us. Roman centurion. That's not somebody who should be acknowledging Jesus as Savior, but he did. Once Jesus dies, it's time to dispose of the body. It's pretty customary uh, for those who have been crucified um, that they would take the bodies and they would throw them in a nearby valley it was called the Valley of Gehenna. It's actually a, a visual that Jesus uses for hell all through his teaching ministry because it was a place in which bo- bodies would be burned in this valley. However, Jesus's body is not thrown there. Uh, let's read. Uh, point number three is this. Uh, he was buried as a stranger. Buried as a stranger. Verse 42 and 43. When it was already evening because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now, if you've been tracking along or if you're familiar, if you're reading the Gospel of Mark to this point, what part of that should stand out? What What group was he a part of? sanhedrin when did we just last see the sanhedrin if you're here last week or if you know it the sanhedrin are the ones that went and kidnapped him in the middle of the night kidnapped jesus they couldn't really arrest him but they kind of did and then they're the ones that tried him and then they're the ones that carried him to Pilate to be crucified and here is a member of that group first we had the roman centurion right the very people forcing him to hang on a tree. Now we have someone going to ask Pilate if he can bury Jesus' body properly. And he's from the Sanhedrin, the one that concocted the whole story that led to Jesus' death. I love this. Just a reminder that some of y'all come from rough backgrounds where nobody trusts in Jesus, but you can be different. So that's some of y'all's story. You're the only one in your family. You're the only one at your workplace. You're the only one on your street. Joseph is risking a great deal to do this. Jesus owned no land. He had nowhere to be buried. And he definitely had no money for his disciples to get together and go buy a piece of dirt to try to bury him in a cave somewhere, which is custom for the Jews. But Joseph, who was a well-to-do, a prominent member, he had some means. He clearly had land and he had a, he had one of some piece of land he had had a cave there, and Jesus was placed inside that cave, and a big, large stone was rolled in front of it. Now what we miss out on is how quickly Joseph had to work. Uh, because we're not we're not familiar with the sabbath day in the way that it was practiced uh throughout the bible but uh joseph had to work quickly the sabbath would begin at sundown on friday night okay well jesus was crucified on friday during the day about 3 p.m is when he died so how much time we got not much it's gonna be a quick turnaround so Friday night, sundown is coming. And what, what Joseph knows is, hey, what if I just wait? Well, he knows that it begins on Friday night at sundown and it goes all the way to Saturday night at sundown. And this was a day of rest that could not be skipped as a Jewish man, especially part of the Sanhedrin. So if Joseph didn't go take care of Jesus' body now, he would have to wait 24 hours, leaving his body out in the wilderness or leaving it hanging on a tree, a cross which wouldn't be good. Don't have to go into a lot of details there. Imagine for yourself. So he didn't have time to put the common spices, the oils on the body that they would do. But then we hear about these women who come and do that for him a little bit later. So point number four. Jesus was not only all three of these other things, but he was raised as our redeemer. He was raised as our redeemer. Listen to what happens when the Sabbath was over. This is Mark sixteen, beginning verse one. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought brought or bought spices, so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They're saying to one another, "Who are we going to get to roll the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us?" Let me stop there for a second. Why didn't Peter help them? Why don't John help them? James. Where's these cats at? They ain't there. Just take note of that. It's it's these three women who are following Jesus that show up. They're trying to find, who who are we going to get? This stone's going to be heavy. Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, good addition, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. He said, don't be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him, right here. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you. The ladies went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. These ladies are on their way without the help of those who followed Jesus most closely. They're going to anoint Jesus' body. Since there wasn't time to do it when he died, they're, they're already talking about how they're, how they're going to get in. When they get there, there's a messenger from God sitting there, and his message was succinct. But can you imagine their confusion? Confusion. Because again, I know we think, y'all, he rose from the dead. Like just listen to the messenger. Let's say you had a family member die yesterday, and I told you he rose from the dead. You gonna believe me? Even if that friend of yours said at one time, Yeah, dude, I'm gonna raise up after I'm dead, you just thought he was crazy. But well, he's a good friend. But like, it's still hard for us to believe. And so here, even though they heard Jesus talk, like they heard a lot of Jesus' teaching, this is still a shocking thing to come to the tomb where you expect to have somebody roll the stone away and there be Jesus' body. Instead, it's opened up and he ain't there. This, would have, this was leaving them in confusion. And, and notice how they left. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The story here is ending in fear and confusion. You'll see in your Bible that there's more text to the gospel of Mark. It comes after verse 8, but you probably have a little footnote in there that says the earliest copies of Mark that we found actually end here at verse 8. But this is how Mark originally intended the story to be. There's scholars that debate that, but... They question whether the rest of it was a traditional addition that was added later by some Type A person. I know they were Type A because you Type A people know the story ends like that, and you go, "Uh-uh." We got a typo on that sucker. They're running off confused. We know how the story ended. We got to tie- we got to fix that. Mark he just Mark left something out, man. You can read the rest of it for yourself, um, but we're not going to be studying that part here, just kind of specifically for that reason. But Mark doesn't mention it here because the story ends there, but we do know that more happened at the tomb because of the other accounts. We know that Jesus himself appears to Mary. Some of the disciples came to check out the tomb for themselves. We know all of that, but Mark simply ends his account here on this cliffhanger. Mark seems to be driving us to the question, will they choose to believe or will they be driven by disbelief and fear? This will be the moment of the My kids are wanting to watch all these movies that are on right now. And I wish I could do that good movie voice. Wouldn't that have been cool for me to read that? But like that's what I picture. Right. That's what's going on in the gospel of Mark. That 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 trailer voice, the guy that's doing the trailer and you He's got that really deep, booming voice. That's what's going on. Mark's asking the question, man, this is what we're left with. Will these people who walked with Jesus and now they're told this crazy story that he's no longer dead and that he's alive, will they believe it? Will they be driven by disbelief and fear? How will the students of Jesus respond now, you and I get to read the rest of the story and find out. We find out that though they show lots of fear and uncertainty in the early days, God sends his spirit to, be, to stir within them, and they quickly start making incredible impact in the world for the kingdom. Many lives are changed, and the gospel goes forward to many nations and regions who had never heard the gospel throughout the known world at the time. So the question that I began to wrestle with that I wrestled with at the beginning when we started this series and now I'm wrestling with it again at the end is what in the world is Mark driving us to? Why these 16 chapters? What is the point? I'm going to argue that the same question that's in our hearts about these women and the disciples. It's the same question that Mark wants to ask of us. Now that we've heard this wild and crazy story, Will you choose to believe in Jesus? Or will you continue life in disbelief and fear? You see, whether you knew the story of Jesus' death before you came in or not, you do now. And the question before each of us today is, will you choose to believe in Jesus or will you continue life in disbelief? Because here's what I need you to know. Um, All those that are in the story and everybody in this room have done something that the Bible calls sin. Sin. Not only done it once; we've done it a bunch. And the Bible says that our sin separates us from who God is. Some of uh, we baptized Rhett this morning, the Rhett Tribble in the first service. And when I talked with Rhett about salvation, I said God created us to be just like this. God created us to be here, but our sin separated us from God. I use my hands; he's going back and forth with me, right? And because we're here, we can't get back. There's nothing we can do to get back. We can't swim back, do enough good deeds to get back. We can't run back. There's no way to get back to God. But God did something with our sin in the death of Jesus that was beautiful. You see, the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, God placed all of our sin. And as I was talking to Red, I said, he placed your sin and he placed my sin. And he placed all of that of your dad's sin, which is a lot more than most people. (laughs) I like to mess with Matt. But God placed all of that sin in Jesus's body. And then Jesus died. And, And I talked with another boy this week that we're still processing through and helping him understand. And he asked, he said, so where's our sin now? I said, that's a great question. That's a really good question. Because we would think if we could go find some tomb that there's Jesus' body laying somewhere in some cave in the Middle East, and we could go find it. If we could open it up somehow, we could see, ah, there's our sin. It would come running out. I don't know what it's probably more spiritual than physical, right? However, what we know is that Jesus' body went in the tomb and it came, but he came back out. And those that witnessed for the forty days that Jesus spent before he ascended, none of them said, You know what? Jesus seems heavy. He seems weighted by something. You know what I mean? It seems like something's bothering him. It seems like he's shameful. He seems like he's got... Y'all, and I I told these two boys, I said, your sin is no longer in Jesus' body. It's been paid for. It's been buried in the tomb and it did not come out with Jesus. And so that we who were far away because of our sin can be brought back into relationship with Jesus Christ, with God through Jesus Christ. And a six-year-old boy understood that in my office and read And the same is true of you today. I don't care how good you think you are, how good your kids think you are, your neighbor thinks you are. You are separated from God because of your sin if you've not trusted in Jesus. God created you to be here, but you're here. And the Bible says that your sin went in Jesus' body too. And it's been paid for. You need to trust in Jesus as the only one that can save you. And then you can come back to God and experience the life that he intended for you from the beginning. And we actually want to help you do that today. Because so many people who call Lindsay Lane East home, or all of us who call Lindsay Lane East home anyway, have done that. The five people that we're going to baptize here in a moment have all done that. (laughs) For you, we want it for you. So we're going to sing one more song, and I'm going to be back there at the back. There's people leaving. Don't worry, they're going to get ready for baptism, okay? Don't be weirded out. They're not mad. (laughs) But we actually want we, want we want to talk with you. We want to show you how you can trust in Jesus too. And here's the good news. Here's what's cool. We intentionally laid out our service this way so that you could hear the gospel before we get in the water. Because the five that are going to be in the water with me here in a moment have trusted in Jesus and I'm going to baptize them. But today, if you've never trusted in Jesus and you would like to today, we actually have t-shirts and shorts Because I know you're thinking, I don't want to leave here wet. Well, we'll put you under the blow dryer too. But we would love to talk with you first off, how you can trust in Jesus. We would love to help you process through that. And then today, if you would be ready at the end of that, we could get in the water with you as well. We don't do this all the time, but we like to do it every once in a while when we have a bunch of baptisms. And so today, you've got that opportunity. I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'm going to be back there by the back thing, by the sound booth. We're going to sing this one more song. And Patrick's actually got one more after that. So don't, like, think you're going to be stressed and running. If you want to come talk with me, we'll we'll counsel with you, help you understand that. Patrick's going to lead another song as we can get you back here and get you ready. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And you can respond however God leads. The altar will also be open if you just need to come and pray for those around you. Pray for somebody that's on your heart or just confess your sins before the Lord here. But we want to help you make this decision today. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you uh, for your word that is, uh, God, it is true and uh, God, it's moving, God, for me. Uh, I was saved at a young age, God. I thank you for stepping into my life, God. God I wasn't necessarily. Uh, I wasn't necessarily Simon. that was just random. God, I was raised in a good Christian home. But God, there was a point in my life where the gospel just clicked and it made sense. And God, I was in that moment. And God, I, I chose to follow you. God, today, I pray if anybody's there that they would take that step to come talk with me at the back. God, for those of us who are already Christians, God, I pray that we'll be reminded today of what it cost what our freedom and from sin cost I thank you God bless us during this time use us God uh, speak to us in Jesus name amen you got stand let's sing and respond